today on this Mother's Day 2016, I'd like to share a bit of um, the journey of my mother-in-law as we begin this teaching. It was April 21, 1974. Um, my, my wife and her family, they were traveling from northwest Iowa back to Pella where they lived. They just celebrated a long weekend, an Easter weekend with their, with their family, an extended family. The very next morning, April 22nd, 4.30 in the morning, uh, my mother-in-law, Ruth, uh, woke up with a pain in the back of her neck. She wasn't quite sure uh, what was going on, so she got up and took some aspirin and uh, crawled back into bed. And then she said it was like just a few minutes passed and the alarm went off. It was 6.45 and she was awoke by the alarm and also the crying out of their youngest child, Gavin. And so she went to respond to that call and went into the bedroom and reached for his cup that was next to the bed and her fingers wouldn't work. She couldn't grab the cup. And she was totally sort of couldn't figure out what was going on, so she cried out to Ivan, her husband, and they got together and they quickly called their family doctor and they made arrangements to meet at the emergency room at 8 o'clock that next morning, or that morning, and uh, so they in turn made arrangements for their kids and they entered into this odyssey of an amazing journey of the last 42 years. Years later, this is what Ivan wrote, I want to read that on those days and fill in some of the gaps there, but surprised and confused by what was happening that April 1974 morning, we said our unexpected goodbyes to our children, ages 10, 7, and 3, and left them with friends. My wife and I were on our way to the University of Iowa hospitals in an ambulance. As the morning progressed, so did Ruth's paralysis. By late afternoon, all her reflexes were gone and her limbs were unresponsive. Early the next morning, the lungs also failed. She was completely paralyzed below the neck. The determined cause was a viral infection in the spine. An honest doctor warned us of the possibility of some permanent paralysis and gave no guarantee that she would ever be free of a respirator. What were we supposed to feel? Contentment? Thankfulness? How were we supposed to react? With a great burst of faith? And then he says these words. Actually, those were the very gifts of God which sustained us. Ninety-three days later, after celebrating her 31st birthday, Ruth was released from the hospital, but with residual right-side paralysis, diminished breathing, a severe limp, and an atrophied arm. Then he goes on to say this, okay? Listen to this. Looking back, we wouldn't trade those long weeks in the hospital for an extended European vacation. I was privileged to be in the IC room with Ruth during most of her hospital stay, tending to her immediate needs. We were thankful to have had a strong marriage before her illness, but being permitted to experience every hopeful sign of recovery together increased our appreciation of each other. And despite the tragedy that had come into our lives, we relied on rock-solid faith and commitment to one another to see us through. It's amazing. For the last 30 years or so, I've been at the front seat being able to observe Ivan and Ruth go through this amazing sort of journey. And every day seems to be a challenge. 
For the last 20 years or so, Ivan's had to literally transfer her from, from a power chair to the restroom or to the bathroom and put her back in the, into a power chair or during the night, throughout the night, lift her from a bed, put her into a chair, bring her to the bathroom, do that two or three times a night for the last 20 years at least. And over and over again, they've had to face adversity and pain and suffering and, and hardship. And so for me, when I think about this series, Derailed, they are the ones that come to mind for me. They have had to deal with, as if you remember this series, they have had to deal with the shock and sorrow and struggle over and over again. And so we've talked about this series kind of being in two phases, if you will. That first phase of shock, sorrow, and struggle. And then the second phase of of surrender, of going before God and say, here, this is it. Here it is. Here's my life, Lord. And then the sanctification, this kind of work of God in me. And then ultimately today we're talking about service and it's this work of God through me. And I have seen Ivan and Ruth do that. What's been amazing to me is that despite all the pain and the suffering and the challenges that were before them, they chose, they chose to surrender. And they chose grace and love and persistence. And they chose to believe that God had a plan for them in spite of their suffering, in spite of the challenges. God would see them through. And so I want to encourage you today say that is an amazing gift that they have given to us and to our family and i've observed this and watched i'm convinced of this that your pain and suffering god can actually use or move you into places where you can significantly impact the lives of others let me just say that again that's the basic premise of this morning that your pain and loss can move you into a place where you can significantly impact the lives of others, as Ivan and Ruth have significantly impacted my life and the life of their family and their friends and the people that know them. And I would just like to suggest there's three ways that, that God might be able to do that. The first is this. By teaching us to love like Jesus. By teaching us to love like Jesus. I know that sounds simple, it's almost simplistic, isn't it? But it's really hard to do, to love as Jesus loves. And the way that we can can learn how to love is we can often learn how to have greater empathy for those who are going through pain and suffering. The Apostle Paul says it this way in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to read from there. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. Paul begins this whole section by making a statement about God. And he says God is a God who is, is one of love and mercy and empathy, of compassion. In fact, he's the source of all comfort. So whatever comfort we receive from any kind of place, the ultimate source comes from the very heart of God to us. And then he goes on, who comforts us, in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the principle is this. God comforts us in the midst of our trouble and our pain and our suffering. 
And it's not intended to stop there. It's so that we can share and comfort those around us. That we can have greater empathy and love for the people maybe going through pain and suffering. You know, one of the things I've learned as a pastor, and one of the things that, that I hear often from people who are going through seasons of pain or disappointment or discouragement or suffering, is that people will often say really stupid things. I mean, am I right? It's true. People say dumb things, and I don't think that they're trying to say dumb things. They just say dumb things at certain times. And one thing that uh, my wife and I, as we've kind of journeyed with people or even gone through some of our own pain together, one of the things that we've noticed is that sometimes people get stuck in this sort of idea of, of still photos. They see people in still photos when the reality is life is more like a video. So let me just explain that a little bit. Life is, has this movement. Life has this journey. And so in the midst of pain and suffering, there can be really good days and where, where you want to bless God. And then there's other days you just want to curse God. Right? And sometimes you feel happy and other times you feel sad. And so you're just kind of all over the map. And a video can kind of capture all of that. And it has this sort of beginning, middle, and end. And you can see it all. Well, I'm convinced those of us who've gone through suffering can actually begin to see people in sort of this fullness of a video. But sometimes, I think people see little snapshots and they get captured in these moments in time. And they see only this moment and not the whole. Make sense? One of the great things that I've heard out of this whole sort of tragedy with the Bartlett family and the Whitehill family and all that's happened is the way that friends responded to the Bartlett's and others that were going through this tragedy. One of the really cool stories to me was when, you know, uh, Dave and Linda were down in Florida and friends from here said, hey, I'll, I'll buy you a ticket so you can get back. And then there's this whole group of friends that drove down to go get the van And they got the van and took care of all of that so they didn't have to worry about it. Why? Because they simply wanted to love the Bartlett family as Jesus loved them. I'll also never forget this time when I was a sophomore in in college. And I get, I was actually on a student trip. I was in Michigan with a, a group of other students and we were, we were, I don't remember what we were doing, but I get this call from my mother. And uh, my dad had had an accident. It was harvest season. And he was trying to move an elevator. And in the midst of that, he was on a ladder. And he literally fell off this ladder onto a piece of concrete that was down below. Face first. I mean, it was crazy. In fact, he had severe bruises. He didn't break any arms or wrists or anything, which was amazing. But he face planted. And it was a really serious uh, situation. And thankfully, the swelling, rather than going into his brain, uh, went outward. And so you couldn't really even recognize him. It was so bad. But, but it saved his life. Well, he was right in the middle of harvest season, so what is he to do? So a whole bunch of friends came alongside my parents. And what did they do? Uh, I think there was like six or seven combines. And one day, they accomplished the whole harvest for my dad. Why? They simply wanted to love my parents and be friends and show the kind of love that Jesus had shown them to my parents. Well, a beautiful thing 
out of that was this a few years later. Now, my dad is not one of the most, you know, sort of verbal kind of guys who expresses his love real well. And yet at the same time, which I can't figure out, he cries at commercials. I mean, what's up with that? But anyway, so there's a lot going on, evidently. Um, it's, you know, so in, inside. And so one of his friends, in fact, a friend that had a pretty severe lung disease, diagnosed, and later died of this. But in the midst of all that, what did my dad do? My dad rallied a whole bunch of friends. He said, we need to help him. We need to help him during his harvest season. And more than that, they helped remodel his house and re-landscaped his yard so that he could more easily get in and out and, and he could actually live in his home during the season in which he eventually passed away. Why? He's simply learning how to love like Jesus loves. It's an amazing testimony. The second way I think that God can move us into a place of service or helping others is this, that God often gives us a platform to speak and act with greater, greater clarity and authority. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Let me just stop right there. You see, Paul, he wanted to be with the Corinthians, but he couldn't be, and he's telling them why. He was in a situation where he was delayed. In fact, he was in such a bad way, he wanted to die. He thought the better solution was just to die. (laughs) I don't know, maybe you've been there. Maybe you understand that. In fact, he goes on in verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that he, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Something happened right there. It's like he surrendered. He gave over the situation and God rescued him in the midst of that. And all of a sudden, now he has a platform to speak to the Corinthians and say, You know what? I I wanted to die, but God came in. He moved in me. And he began, and he shares this testimony with them. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I'll never forget the day that my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a hard day. And I walked into an office where I was working, and a colleague came up to me. And she sat me down, and she said, Brian, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. You can help your wife. I said, okay. Here's the deal. 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with the very same thing. And I went through this whole thing alone. And it was hard. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And yet God saw me through it. So here's what you can do. She said, you can go with your wife to every doctor's appointment. And you can sit there. And you can listen. And you can be the eyes and ears of your wife. Because you know what? In the midst of all this shock and sorrow and struggle, she's going to miss things. And you can be there for her. And you can listen. And you can help her through that. And together, 
you're going to have to give this over to God. And you know what's happened for me? A few years ago, I started a new ministry in my church. You know what I do? I go with anyone who is alone and want somebody to go with them to a doctor's appointment. You know what I am? I'm the eyes and ears for that person. And I advocate for them. And I walk alongside them. And I pray for them. And I will pray for you. I thought, wow. God had taken her through a journey that was unbelievably hard and yet given her a platform to serve. And she was blessing me with her wisdom and all of this sort of strength. It's amazing what God can do. It's true also in Scripture. I love the story of Joseph. And let me just recap it really quickly. Joseph, the story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37 and goes through the end of the book. It's quite a story. If you remember the story, you catch the story when he's 17 years old and he's the, the youngest of 11 brothers, soon to be 12 brothers a little later. But he's a spoiled, rotten kid. And he's, and he's arrogant and prideful. His dad has given him this special robe and special treatment. And he's had a dream that he sees all of his brothers and his dad bowing down to him. And so they just thought he was the most arrogant kid ever. And so when all of the other brothers were out working and tending the flocks, his dad sends them out to greet them. And what do they do? Well, they have a plot. And their plot is to kill him. Oh, but then a few of the older brothers said, oh, maybe we'll not kill him, but let's sell him into slavery. Wow. What nice family dynamics right there, right? How special. We'll just sell him into slavery. But maybe you guys know what that means. Some of you, betrayal or family pain. Well, he was experiencing it deeply. He gets sold into slavery. And he gets placed in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is an important person in Egypt. He's kind of like the military captain of the guard, he's called. And he does well. But unfortunately, Potiphar's wife had a thing for Joseph. You remember that part of the story? And accuses Joseph of making moves on him. And so Potiphar, rather than killing him, actually saves his life, but sends him to prison. And there he is in prison. Can you imagine that? And he's in prison, and again, he sort of does well. He blooms where he's planted. And a couple advisors of, of Pharaoh actually get thrown into prison, and he interprets their dreams. And then years later, after being restored into his position, one of the advisors remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy, this guy who can interpret dreams, because Pharaoh was having this nasty dream over and over again. He couldn't understand it. And so Pharaoh calls him in. He says, can you interpret my dream? And said, yes, I can. And the dream is this, that there's going to be seven good years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven terrible years of famine and drought. And he tells the Pharaoh, he said, you know what? You really need to do this. You need to prepare during those seven years so that during those seven years of of drought and famine and hardship, you'll have something left over. And the Pharaoh said, okay. In fact, you're going to be the one to do that. So when he's 30 years old... Thirteen years have passed, friends. When he's 30 years old, he gets placed in this position, this platform of authority. And then the seven years of plenty happen. 
And we're two years into the famine. And then Jacob and his brothers are looking for food. And he said, hey, you know what? There's food down in Egypt. We should go down there and see if we can get some food. And in chapter 45 of Genesis, Joseph sees his brothers and he confronts them. He says, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then verse 7, this is the one I want you to look at. Listen to what he says. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In other words, he sort of reframed all of his suffering to say, you know what, God had a plan. He redeemed it and he used it for good. At the end of... His life, he says this in chapter 50. I I don't have it on, on the screen, but it says this. Don't be afraid, he says to his brothers. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God moves, often moves us to a platform where we can act and speak with greater clarity and authority. My sister-in-law, I was just with her yesterday. Her name is Melissa. Uh, she's, she's a great sister-in-law. In fact, she's one of our kids' favorite aunts, you know, because she spoils them like crazy. She's just got a great personality. Well, when she was in college, she was at Iowa State, she had no clue what she wanted to do. And one Saturday morning, she was actually off to a, she had a part-time job at a horse barn. And so she left early in the morning and she actually ran a stop sign crossed a county highway, and she was T-boned by another car. And it was, it was really serious. In fact, she had to be life-flighted from there to Des Moines. And I can remember my mom coming back late that night, and uh, she sat us down and said, you know, I really wanted to be there to support Melissa and her family. And, um, but it was hard. I don't think she's going to make it. And I was like, wow, what's going on here? But she made it through the night, and then she made it the next day, and eventually she had a broken pelvis, she had broken ribs, she had all kinds of uh, broken bones, and she also had a severe head trauma. And so months and months later, having gone through almost a year's worth of therapy and all these kinds of things, she comes out of that, and she goes, I know what I want to do. God's been speaking to me. I want to be a therapist. And I want to help head trauma patients. And so she went and got her master's degree, ended up becoming an occupational therapist, ended up in the very department that helped her when she was a head trauma patient in Methodist Hospital in Des Moines. And she continues on as an occupational therapist. It's an amazing story. God often uses our suffering and loss as a platform to move us into a place where we can speak and act with greater authority. Here's the last thing I want to share today. I think sometimes our pain and loss can help us to serve others by allowing us to witness to God's grace and God's glory. In chapter 4 of the 2 Corinthians, 
Paul is continuing his conversation with Corinthians. And he says this in verse 7. Which, by the way, let me just pause right here. Oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, when I bring that word up, especially with Christians, we kind of get wigged out about that word, don't we? I think sometimes we get really nervous because we think somehow we have to have the right thing to say. Or, you know, and if I don't do it right, wow, I'm going to really mess up my friend or my family or whoever it is. And and so I kind of want to just pull the pressure off that. I want to hear, want you to hear what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says this, we have this treasure, that is this treasure of Christ, His presence, in jars of clay. I love that image. In jars of clay, in simple little, often cracked little pots. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you hear that? There's something going on. In the life of Paul, despite all of the distractions, despite all the suffering and persecution on the outside, there's something inside that's much more powerful. And then he goes on to say this in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's something good that God is going to bring out of this. God is up to something good. In fact, this is just temporary, friends. It's just a little moment in time. There's something more, there's something greater that we cling to, that we hold on to. And there's something greater in us, in your cracked pot, in your little jar that's been scratched and bruised and blemished. And you, my friends, in fact, I think this would be good. You should turn to somebody and say, that's quite a pot you've got. You've got an amazing pot. And you have a story to share. You have something to give. You have a story to share. And it is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Don't waste your pain. Cling to the hope of glory. Cling and share it. There are those around you, my friends, who would be deeply moved, not by your successes, but in the midst of your suffering. Sometimes our deepest life message will often come out of our deepest pain. Let me just say that one more time. Our deepest life message will often come out of our deepest pain. This is the last week of this series. I hope that you've been blessed by it and encouraged by it. 
And I'm excited about the next few weeks in which we get to hear the hope of glory in the midst of people's lives, these stories from the seats that we're going to hear in these next few weeks. It's going to be power, powerful. Why? Not because of them. Because of God working in them and through them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, through Christ we have a tremendous hope. Through Christ and his power and his strength, God, we can stand. Lord, there are some here today that are maybe stuck. Stuck in this place of struggle and shock and sorrow. God, I pray by your spirit you would give them the power to surrender and to believe that you have a good good plan for them. And God, for all of us here, I pray that we would see your grace and your mercy extended and see that in our lives and be willing to pay attention to the people around us, that we might extend to them your grace and your mercy too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.